Amen. All right, we're there in Numbers chapter number three. And of course, uh, we started several weeks ago a chapter-by-chapter study on Sunday nights in the book of Numbers. We're calling it Wilderness Wanderings. And we are uh, finding ourselves tonight in uh, Numbers chapter number three. And of course, this is a, a, long, a long chapter, 51 uh, verses. And we're going to cover the whole thing tonight, Lord willing. And uh, I want to just kind of give you a heads up in regards to how this uh, chapter can be divided. And uh, this chapter can be divided into three different sections, and we're going to look at it in those three different sections. So these are kind of your three different points if you'd like to write these down. And of course, I always encourage you to take notes, especially when we're going through a verse-by-verse study or chapter-by-chapter study. Uh, The first section of this chapter uh, can be divided between verses 1 through 4, and you could give it this title or this heading, The Priest, The Priest. Uh, and if you'd like, you can put in parentheses, uh, The Sons of Aaron. So uh, the first section that covers verses 1 through 4 would be The Priest, parentheses, The Sons of Aaron. Then the next heading that we could divide this chapter into would cover verses 5 through 39. Verses 5 through 39, and you could title that heading the Levites, the Levites, and if you'd like to add a parenthesis to that, we can call that the tribe of Aaron, the tribe of Aaron. And then lastly, the third section would go from verses 40 through 51, and you could title that section, if you'd like, the firstborn, the firstborn. And if you'd like to add a parenthesis to that title, um, you could add the price of Aaron. So we've got the priests, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, the tribe of Aaron, and then the firstborn, the price of Aaron. And we're going to look at this chapter tonight. There's a lot to cover, and we'll go through it as quickly as we can um, under those headings. So we'll start here in verse number one under this heading of the priests, the priests, the sons of Aaron. In Numbers chapter three and verse one, the Bible says this, these also are the generations of Aaron and Moses. In the days that the Lord spake with Moses in Mount Sinai, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron. So notice that in these few verses, we're going to see the sons of Aaron, which, of course, are the priests. The the priests in the Old Testament are the sons of Aaron and the descendants of the sons of Aaron. The Bible tells us here that when they first started, if you remember, as we've gone through the book of Numbers this far, we've learned that um, they're about a year into their journeys, a year and a month. And uh, it's pretty early in the journeys. They have not yet left to wander in the wilderness, if you will. Um, They're spending time getting ready to go in their journey. They're supposed to go into the promised land. They're going to fail to do that and end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But the Bible tells us in verse 2, and these are the names of the sons of Aaron. So when they came out of Egypt, the sons of Aaron were the following. Number one, Nadab, the firstborn, and number two, Abihu, Number three, Eleazar, and number four, Ithamar. Verse three says, these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. And I want you to notice that uh, because we're going to be talking about the priests and we're going to talk about the Levites. And I think if if you're not familiar with the concept of of the priests and the Levites, uh, I want you to understand it. The, the, The priest and the Levites are not the same thing. Often we talk about the the Levitical priesthood, but the Levites are a tribe, and the priests 
are a family within that tribe. Aaron was of the tribe of Levi, but Aaron is a family, and his sons and the descendants of his sons are a family within that tribe, and the, 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 the descendants of Aaron, the sons of Aaron, are the priests within the tribe of Levi, and the rest that are not sons of Aaron but are in that tribe are what we refer to as Levites. And we're going to look at it tonight in this chapter, what those differences are and what that means. But I want you to understand, there in verse 3, we're told, the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. So the ones that were in the priest's office are the sons of Aaron. At this point in their history, it's Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. But of course, they will have children and their descendants will be the priests. Notice verse 4. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord. If you're familiar with the story of Nadab and Abihu and the strange fire, um, it's not uh, given in detail here. It's actually given in detail in the book of Leviticus. We're going to go back there and look at that here in a minute. Um, but the Bible tells us that of these four sons that Aaron had, Nadab and Abihu died. The Bible says there in verse 4, Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children, and Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest's office in the sight of Aaron, their father. So we've got four sons that are the sons of Aaron who are to be the priests, and two are killed off pretty early in this thing, uh, 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 one month into the first year of their uh, being in the wilderness. So the only two that were left were Eleazar and Ithamar. They ministered in the priest's office, and it is their descendants that continued on the priesthood. Now, let's just look at the story of Nadab and Abihu just real quickly. You're there in Numbers. Obviously, that's our text for tonight. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Leviticus. If you just go backwards one book from Numbers into Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 10. And let's look at the story of the strange fire. The Bible says that Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord. The reason that they died is because they offered strange fire. The word strange in your King James Bible means foreign. So it's not strange like weird or odd, but it's strange in the sense that it's foreign. It was foreign fire. Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer. censer the censers where they were supposed to get, have the fire and transfer the fire back and forth as it was needed. They took of them their censer and put fire therein. Notice, and put incense thereon and offered strange or foreign alien fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, I want you to understand this because sometimes people look at the story and they think, you know, what's the big deal? But the, the big deal has to do with the source of the fire. It's strange fire because it came from a wrong source. It came from a foreign source. Now, again, we're preaching through Numbers I'm not preaching through Leviticus. We've already gone verse by verse through the book of Leviticus. But go back just to Leviticus chapter 9, and let me just remind you of this. If you were with us or if you don't know this, let me help you understand this. If you remember, we, the book of Exodus takes us from the, pretty much when they entered into the land of Egypt, and it takes us into just one year outside of Egypt. So when they left Egypt, where the book of Exodus ends is one year after the, uh, they, they, they came out of the bondage of Egypt. And then if you remember where the book of Numbers begins, 
is one year and one month after. And Leviticus covers that one month. So Exodus takes us one year past the captivity of the bondage of, of Egypt. The book of Leviticus covers that one month in which they built the tabernacle and God gave them the instructions for the Levitical priesthood. And then Numbers picks up right as that month ends, one year and one month into their wilderness wanderings and takes us to through the next uh, 40 years. Now in Leviticus, and the book of Leviticus, really what it is, it's a manual for the priesthood. It's a book that pretty much tells them what sacrifices to do, how to do them, uh, all sorts of different things that they were supposed to do as Levitical priests. And of course, in it, we've got some stories. In Leviticus chapter 9, we have the story of the fact that they built a tabernacle. Remember, God gave Moses a vision of what the tabernacle was supposed to be like, and it was supposed to be uh, uh, pretty much just the same as the tabernacle up in heaven. God allowed Moses to see the tabernacle in heaven, to see the layout and how it was configured, and then Moses built that with the children of Israel on earth. When they got done finishing, when they finished that tabernacle, God built, pretty much gave his approval of the tabernacle by uh, bringing fire from heaven and uh, onto their sacrifice. So you're there in Leviticus 9, look at verse 24. Leviticus 9, 24. And there came a fire out, and I don't have time to go through all the verses. I'm just going to give you just little snippets. You can study this out at a later time if you'd like. Leviticus 9, 24. And there came out, there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. So I want you to get the picture, all right? They just got done building the tabernacle. Remember, they took a special offering. They brought, they gave so much to the tabernacle that Moses had to tell the people to stop giving because they were giving so much. They, they worked together. They raised the money. They got the stuff situated. Everybody did their part, and they built this tabernacle. And then to, uh, to celebrate and to uh, uh, get the tabernacle going, they, they have this sacrifice that is set up before the Lord. But instead of the, the priest burning the sacrifice, the Bible says that the Lord sent fire from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. And that was a picture to the children of Israel that God was pleased with this tabernacle and that he had accepted it as the place of his dwelling. That's what we're reading there in Leviticus 9.24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. And when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Just a little FYI for you, uh, many, many years later, hundreds of years later, when Solomon builds the temple, which is a building that replaces the tabernacle, the same thing happens. They lay out the offerings, and God sends fire down from heaven and consumes it as his way of showing that he approves of the temple and he approves of the tabernacle. Now, the reason I'm showing this to you is because when this fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, the source of the fire was heaven. The source of the fire was the Lord. The Bible says that the fire came out from before the Lord. And then what they were commanded was to keep that fire burning, to not allow that fire to go out. That fire was the fire that they were to use 
every day. If you remember, they had a morning and an evening sacrifice. Every day, multiple times a day, they were sacrificing and they were using fire. And the fire that they were supposed to keep lit and keep burning and keep going was the fire that came from the Lord. But Nadab and Abihu, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, but either they let the fire go out or they just decided that they didn't have to go all the way to where God's fire was, and they decided to use their own fire. That's why the term is called strange fire. They were supposed to use the fire that the Lord had provided, but instead they decided, the Bible tells us, go back to Leviticus 10 and verse 1, and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein. The problem was that the fire was not from God's fire. The fire that God provided and put incense thereon and offered strange or alien or foreign fire before the Lord. Now, maybe the fire of God was already burning, but maybe it was outside or they had to go somewhere and they said, we don't need to go out there. Here, just use my, just use my lighter. We'll just start this fire. We'll get the, here, use my matches. We'll just get the fire going. It doesn't really matter where the fire comes from. The point is this, that they tried to use strange fire foreign fire, alien fire, and the sacrifices of God when they should have used the fire that came from the Lord. So I want you to understand, when we're talking about strange fire, and and oftentimes we use the story and apply it in regards to making sure that we do not offer strange fire unto the Lord. And we're using that in a sense of of, of like a spiritual illustration. But I think that sometimes people don't really understand what does it mean to offer strange fire unto the Lord? And one thing I want you to, let me give you kind of two sub points regarding that, but we are offering strange fire unto the Lord when we choose to use what God has not provided. Do you understand that? God provided the fire. Nadab and Abihu said, no, we've got better fire. We've got different fire. We've got fire from a different source. So strange fire, if you're not sure what that term means, they were using strange fire. And today, you and I can, quote unquote, use strange fire when we choose to use what God has not provided. But it's not just that. Notice there Leviticus 10 and verse 1. And look at the last part of the verse where it says, and offered strange fire before the Lord. Notice this, which he commanded them not. The he there is referring to the Lord, which the Lord commanded them not. So what can we learn from that? Well, here's what we learn. Strange fire is when we choose to use that which God has not provided, but it is also when we choose to do that which God has not uh, commanded. So we should not use that which God has not provided, and we should not do that which God has not commanded. When it comes to our service to God, when it comes to us serving God and working for God and offering unto the Lord, we should not use strange fire. You say, well, what does that mean? It means don't use what God has not provided and don't do what God has not commanded because when you use what God has not provided and you do what God has not commanded, you are offering strange fire. You say, well, how does that apply today? Well, by God's grace, it doesn't apply to Verity Baptist Church. But I can tell you right now that there are churches all across this country who held services today and the Lord was not pleased because of the fact that they were offering strange fire. You say, well, what do you mean? 
Well, when a preacher gets up with a Bible version that's not the King James Bible and preaches out of the ESV or the NIV or the New King James, he is offering strange fire unto the Lord. Why? Because strange fire is when we choose to use what God has not provided. Now, God provided the Bible for us in the English version, in the English uh, tr translation. It's called the King James Bible. But the ESV is strange fire. The NIV is strange fire. The, the contemporary uh, modern Bible translations of today, they're, they're, they're fire, but they're not fire that has come from God. Their source is not God. They're strange fire. They're foreign fire. How about preaching another gospel? We've been learning about that in Galatians. God has provided a gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, that we're saved by faith and not of works. And once you receive that gift and call upon Christ in faith for salvation, you have it forever and you never lose it. But when somebody stands up and preaches another gospel, what they're preaching and what they're offering is strange fire. They are choosing to use that which God has not provided. How about contemporary Christian music? Contemporary Christian music is strange fire. It didn't come from God. It, 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 the source is not the Word of God. The source is not the Holy Spirit. The source is the world. And people today, they, they, they'll, they'll look at a church like ours and say, well, what's the big deal? Why, why do you use these old hymns? Why not just use contemporary music? I mean, think about contemporary Christian music. It, it's in the name. It's contemporary meaning it's of our time, it's of our culture, and we're just taking music from our culture and maybe changing the words a little bit, adding the name of Jesus and offering that to the Lord. The Lord is not pleased. It's strange fire. How about alternatives to soul winning? Because remember, strange fire is when we choose to use that which God has not provided and when we choose to do that which God has not commanded. And you know, God commanded us to go out soul winning uh, two by two from house to house to open our mouth boldly and to make known the mystery of the gospel. Amen. That's what God has commanded. Now, I'm not against, in fact, we do this here at our church. We will do soul winning. This is a soul winning church. By God's grace, we have around 100 people that go out soul winning every week in our community. I'm not opposed to us doing soul winning and doing other stuff on top of that just to, to help with media and, and all of that. Look, I'm not against mailers as long as you're soul winning and doing mailers. But when your only outreach is mailers, you're offering strange fire. You are doing that which God did not command you to do. When your only source of, of outreach is uh, door hangers, you'll never knock the door. You'll never actually ask somebody about their salvation. You'll never open your mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. You say, are you against putting uh, flyers on doors? I'm not against putting flyers on doors if we're putting flyers on doors as we're preaching the gospel. As we're out knocking on doors, nobody answers, yes, please put a flyer on the door. But we're not going to get 100 people to go out and say, don't ever talk to anybody. Don't preach the gospel to anybody. Try not to make any eye contact with anybody. Just put flyers on doors. No, that's strange fire. How about alternatives to preaching? The Bible says that God uses the foolishness of preaching. And today, you've got pastors that want to get up and say, I'll do everything but preach. I'll sit on a stool and give you a talk. Hey, that's strange fire. That's right. Want to use a drama. 
Want to bring up a bunch of drama actors and act things out. I mean, churches today are so crazy. I've literally heard of churches where they'll have like a cooking show. Like on a Sunday morning where the pastor's up there and his wife, and instead of a pulpit, they just got like a table, and they're like cooking and teaching people how to like make lasagna or I don't know what they're doing. They're just, and as, it's like a cooking show. And as they're cooking, then they make some sort of spiritual application. I don't know what spiritual application. This pasta reminds me of God. I don't know. <laughs> but they, they, you, all these silly, weird things. And all I say to that is, it's strange fire. Because strange fire is when we choose to use what God has not provided and choose to do what God has not commanded. And you say, does it upset God? Will it upset God enough to kill these two guys? So we should be careful about strange fire. Make sure what we offer to the Lord has came from God and has been commanded by God and that what we are doing is honoring to God. Go back to Numbers chapter number 3. So we see this first section of the priests, the sons of Aaron. We see it in verses 1 through 4. And the emphasis, of course, is on the two sons who failed, Nadab and Abihu. They offered strange fire because they chose to use that which God had not provided, and they chose to do that which God had not commanded. Then in the second section, and this is the largest section of the book, of the chapter, excuse me, we see the Levites. In the first section, we saw the priests, the sons of Aaron. In the second section, we see the Levites, the tribe of Aaron, verses 5 through 39. And in this section, we see three different things about the Levites. And this will serve as an outline for this section. First of all, we see the distinction of the Levites, verses 5 through 10. Notice in verse 5, the Bible says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near. So now we're not talking about a family, the family or the sons of Aaron, but we're talking about a tribe, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Aaron. Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto him. Notice that an entire tribe was given to Aaron that they would help Aaron and the priests. Aaron the priest, uh, the Bible says, present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto him and they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. So I want you to notice that the, the tribe of Levi was given to Aaron. Now Aaron and his sons are a family within the tribe of Levi. But the tribe of Levi was then given to Aaron to help with the service of the tabernacle. Look at verse 8. And they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation and the charge of the children of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. And thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron. Notice it. Thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons. The Levites were given to the priests, Aaron and his sons, that uh, they are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on the priest's office, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. So I want you to notice that the Levites were a tribe that were assigned and given to Aaron and his sons, the priests, which were a family, to help them in their ministry. 
You're there in Numbers. Go, go to Acts real quickly. Acts chapter 6 in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 6. Do me a favor. When you get to Acts, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I'd like you to be able to get there quickly. Acts chapter 6. I want you to understand. The priest held an anointed office, a position in which they did what we would maybe refer to today as spiritual work. Now, their spiritual work was very physically laboring. I mean, they were sacrificing animals. But if you read about how they sacrificed animals, I mean, they were pretty much butchers. But they did the spiritual work of receiving sacrifices, killing the sacrifice, butchering the sacrifice, burning certain parts, offering certain parts. They did the spiritual work of the offering. The Levites were then given to the priest as assistants to assist them in the work of the tabernacle. And the way you might think of it is that the priest did the spiritual work of the tabernacle and the Levites did the secular work. And and by secular, what I mean is it wasn't spiritual. Their job was to maintain the tent. Their job, as we'll see later on in this chapter, was to take care of certain aspects of the tent especially when you are reminded of the fact that they're about to journey through the wilderness and that tent is going to have to be broken down and taken as they journey and then put back up wherever they uh, stop. And, And so the Levites had this job of taking care of the physical work. The interesting thing is that there is a a, a resemblance of this in the New Testament as well to New Testament believers. We do not have priests and Levites, but what we have today is pastors and deacons. And the relationship between a priest and a Levite is very similar. It's like the Old Testament version of the relationship between a pastor and a deacon. Or in our church, we have a deacon, Brother Oliver, and then we've got other men that aren't deacons, but they're on staff and they help with uh, the, the secular, you might call it, work of the ministry. Acts chapter 6, are you there? Let me just show this to you. You're familiar with these verses, but let's look at it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason. Now the twelve are obviously apostles, but they're acting as pastors. And notice that the twelve, and keep in mind, this is a church that's growing when the number of disciples was multiplied. And this is a huge church. I mean, they've got thousands of converts. So if you think, you know, why do they have 12 pastors? It's because they're, they're ministering to, you know, 5,000 people. And the Bible says here that the 12, Acts chapter 6, verse 2, then the 12 called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it is not reason. And that phrase, it is not reason, you and I might say it this way, it's not a good reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, and we, talking about the spiritual leadership, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the idea is this, that look, in, in, in the Old Testament, and keep your place in Acts, but you can go back to Numbers. The spiritual work was that of sacrificing the animals. But somebody had to get everything else ready to help them do that. 
And, 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 and even in a church like ours, I mean, our church, uh, you know, we average somewhere between 200 and 225 people here on a Sunday morning. Obviously, the evening services are less than that. But a church like ours, you know, as a pastor, I obviously have to spend time in the Word, preparing sermons, getting things ready. I spend time in the Word doing counseling and, and, and things of that nature, which we might call spiritual work. But the truth is that someone has to vacuum this building. You understand that? Somebody has to take the trash out. So, so, I mean, there's actual work and preparation that needs to be done. And that's not just only the deacon or the staff. I mean, obviously, they've got responsibilities and things that they do. But honestly, we should take that as a lesson for all of us because the Bible says that in the New Testament, we are all priests. And the idea is this, that look, you, you, you might say, well, I'm a near Christian. I don't know the Bible. Maybe I can't uh, be a, a spiritual type leader. I can't get up and preach. I'm a woman. They're not going to let me preach, right? Or I'm a man. You know, I just, I, I don't think I'm ready to do spiritual work like that. But hey, how about being a Levite and, and just helping with some of the secular stuff? Because there's always work to be done, things that need to be, bulletins need to be folded. You see, I mean, so there's always things that, have, that are required. So there's this idea that you had the priests who were doing the spiritual work, but then you had this whole tribe of Levites who were helping them accomplish that work. And in the New Testament, it's the same thing. You may have a pastor that is, Lord willing, doing spiritual work, but there should be a whole army of people helping do the rest of the things that need to be done if this ministry is going to be effective and successful. So we see the distinction of the Levites. What made the Levites different from the rest of the tribes of Israel and even from the sons of Aaron? And what made them different was that it was their task to be the assistants. It was their task to help with all the things that needed to be done so that the priests could do the work that he was called to do. So we see the distinction of the Levites, verses 5 through 10. And then we see the division of the Levites, verses 11 through 20. Notice verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And I beheld, and I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of all the firstborn, that openeth the matrix amongst the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine, for on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hollowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be. I am the Lord. Now, verses 12 and 13 are actually covered again at the end of the chapter, and we're going to cover that at that point. But look at verse 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi after the house of their fathers. Remember that in, chapters, in chapter 1, we had the census of the children of Israel. Remember, they did the census of all 12 tribes. Now, we had 12 tribes, but there was one tribe that was not counted, and it was the tribe of Levi. If you remember, we still had 12 tribes because of the fact that Joseph's tribe was divided into two tribes, the two sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. If you remember from Numbers chapter 1, that census was taken of all the men who were 20 years old and upward. Why? Because it was a military census, and they were counting how many fighting men they had because they're getting ready to go out and conquer. They're supposed to go and conquer the land of Canaan. The, na the tribe of Levi was not part of that census because Levi had a spiritual work. 
So they were not to go out and fight. But here in chapter 3, they get their own census. Notice verse 15, Numbers 3, 15. Number the children of Levi after the house of their fathers by their families, every male. Now notice their census is a little different because it's not a military census. Every male from a month old and upward shalt thou number them. So they're not numbering every male 20 years old and up. They're numbering every male one month old and up. Now there's actually a reason for that, and we're going to come to that later on in the chapter, but I want you to notice that they're having a special census for the Levites since they were not numbered in the military census, and their census is for males that are one month old and up. Look at verse 16. And Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names. I want you to notice that the the tribe of Levi, aside from Aaron and his sons, Moses and Aaron and, and Aaron's sons, is divided into three different families. So the tribe of Levi is made up by three different families, and it's a division of the tribe of Levi. Look at verse 17. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. So you have three families that make up the tribe of Levi. Gershon, the family of Gershon, the family of Kohath, the family of Merari. Later on in the book of Numbers, we will see that Korah rises up against Moses, and he is of the family of Kohath. Look at verse 18. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shimei, and, verse 19, the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram and Ezehar, Hebron and Uziel, verse 20, and the sons of Merari by their families, Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites according to the house of their fathers. Okay, so I want you to get this. We're talking about the division of the Levites. You've got the tribe of Levi that is divided into three families, the, the sons of Gershon, the sons of Kohath, and the sons of Merari. So we see the distinction of the Levites in verses 5 through 10. We see the division of the Levites in verses 11 through 20. And then we see the duty of the Levites in verses 21 through 39. The duty of the Levites. Or you could say the description of the Levites. I like to alliterate my sermons so you can tell that I spend time working on them. I'm not spending my week golfing. The duty of the Levites, verses 21 through 39. And what we have is these, this breakdown of the families of Gershon, and here's what, uh, of, the fa- of the three families of the Levites. And, and here's what we're going to see. We're going to have a breakdown of each one of these families, and we're going to be given information about each family. It's the same information. Obviously, it's different for each of the families, but here's what we're going to get, okay? Their number, how many of them there are, because remember, there's a census. So we're going we're gonna to be given the number of how many males, one month old and upward there are. We're going to be told their location meaning where they're going to camp. Because if you remember in Numbers chapter 2, we made the, the book of Numbers made a big deal about where the camps were supposed to be. Remember, we had three tribes on the east and three tribes on the west and three tribes on the north and three tribes on the south. But the Levites have not been dispersed yet. So we're not only going to be told how many there are, we're going to be told where they're going to camp. And then we're going to be told their responsibility. What was their job to do? 
All right, so first comes the family of Gershon. Look at verse 21. Of Gershon was the family of the Libnites, the family of the Shimeites. These are the families of the Gershonites. Verse 22. Here we get their number. Those that were numbered of them, according to the number of all males, from a month old and upward, even those that were numbered of them were 7,500. Now, I realize that these are numbers, and you might think it's not, that, it's not that interesting, but there's actually something very interesting about these numbers when we get to the end of the chapter. So I want you to pay attention to this. When it comes to the family of Gershom, we're looking at the three families that made up the tribe of Levi. When it comes to the family of Gershon, we're told at the end of verse 22 that there are 7,500. So 7,500 males that were one month old and upward. In verse 23, we're told their location. The families of the Gershonites shall pitch behind the tabernacle westward. So if you remember, when we talked about it in Numbers chapter 2, you have the tabernacle, and the tabernacle has one entrance. And that entrance always faced the east. That was the front. Then you had the north, the south, and the west. And the west would be the back of the tabernacle. And what we're told in verse 23 is that the families of the Gershonites shall pitch behind or in the rear, in the back, behind the tabernacle westward. So they were supposed to pitch behind the tabernacle on the west side. What does that mean? Now, if you remember... On the west side, we have the tribe of Ephraim, or the camp of Ephraim. Remember that? And what the Bible is telling us is that between the tabernacle and the camp of Ephraim was to be the Levites, and specifically the family of Gershon, that was like a buffer between the camp of Ephraim and the tabernacle. Now, something that you see over and over in this chapter is that they keep, getting, they keep being told that if somebody walks up to the tabernacle, they're supposed to be put to death, killed. Because the children of Israel were not just allowed to walk up into the tabernacle whenever they wanted. Even the priests were only given access to a certain part of it, and only once a year, one priest, after he'd done certain things, was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. So these Levites are going to surround the tabernacle as a buffer and as a protector to just keep the children of Israel from just kind of wandering into the tabernacle. And if they can't stop them from wanting to enter the tabernacle, then they're supposed to put them to death. So we see there in verse 23 that you have the family of Gershon on the west side, camp between the tabernacle and the, and the camp of Ephraim. Now notice in verse 24, we're told their responsibilities. And the chief of the house of the fathers of the Gershonites shall be Eliasaph, the son of Lael, and the charge of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of the congregation shall be the tabernacle, and notice, the tent and the coverings thereof and the hangings for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the hangings of the court and the curtains for the door of the court, which is by the tabernacle and by the altar roundabout and the cords of it, for all the service thereof. So I want you to notice that the family of the Gershonites or the family of Gershon were given the charge or the responsibility of the tent, the coverings thereof, the hangings for the doors, the hangings of the court, and the curtain of the door. What does that mean? They were in charge of the tent, the coverings, the draperies, the curtains, that type of thing they were in charge of. So when it was time to go, their job was to take the tent down. 
to take all the curtains down, to take all the draperies down, to, to, to take all the coverings down. And, you know, obviously they, they, they had to fold them up, I'm sure, and maybe had containers or places by, in which they traveled. They probably had to clean them. But their responsibility was when it came to the tabernacle, they were in charge of the tent, because it wasn't actually just a tent, and the curtains and the draperies and the coverings. I'm sure that if something got ruined, they were to hem it or they were to, to fix it. These were their responsibilities. Then in verse 27, we have the family of Kohath. Look at verse 27. And of Kohath was the family of the Amorites and the family of the uh, Isaiahites and the family of the Hebronites and the family of the Uzeliites. These are the families of the Kohathites. Look at verse 28. In the number of, and in the number of all males from one, mo- one month old and upward were 8,600 keeping the charge of the sanctuary. So we get their number, the number of the Kohathites, 8,600 Males, one month old and upward. Notice their location, verse 29. And the families of the sons of Kohath shall pitch on the side of the tabernacle southward. So they were, if you think of the tabernacle facing the east, the entrance, we had Gershon on the west, on the back side, and then we have the Kohathites on the south side. They are between the tabernacle and the... uh, Camp of Dan is the family of the Kohathites. Then in, in verse 30, we are told their responsibilities. And the chief of the house of the fathers of the families of the Kohathites shall be uh, Elazaphan, the son of Uziel, and their charge shall be the ark and the table and the candlesticks and the altars and the vessels of the sanctuary wherewith they, min- they minister, and the hangings and all the service thereof. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, shall be chief over the chief of the Levites and have the oversight of them that keep the charge of the sanctuary. So I want you to notice that this family, the Kohathites, their responsibility was the furniture of the tabernacle. So you have the Gershonites, when it's time to pack up and go, their job is to take down the tent, take down the curtains, take down the draperies, take down the coverings, fold them up, get them ready to move. When they get to where they're going, their job was to hang it all back up. The Kohathites had the responsibility of the furniture in the tabernacle because the the tabernacle had furniture inside of it that was used. The ark, the table, the candlestick, the altars, the vessels. So the Kohathites, their job was to take care of the furniture. They had to pack it all up. I don't know. Maybe they bubble wrapped it. Maybe they put it in... Uh, you know, uh, boxes. I don't know what they did, but they got it all, all the furniture out of the tabernacle, took care of it, carried it where it needed to go, and then they uh, set it up when they got where they had to go. Then in verse 33, we have the final family, the family of Merari. Look at verse 33. Of Merari was the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. These are the family of Merari. In verse 34, we're told their number, and those that were uh, numbered of them according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward were 6,200. So we have 6,200 uh, males, one month old and upward in the family of Merari. Their location is in verse 35. And the chief of the house of the fathers of the families of Merari was Zuriel, the son of Abihel. Uh, these shall pitch on the side of the tabernacle northward. All right? So remember, we have the, the tabernacle facing the east, 
on the west side, we have Gershon. On the south side, we have Kohath. And then on the north side, we have Merari. Merari is on the north side between the tabernacle and the camp of Reuben. And remember when we talked about this in Numbers 2, we talked about the four sides and how they represented uh, the four gospels and the four beasts. And, and, you know, we talked about all those things. And if you weren't here for that, you can, you know, check out the sermons on our website. Then in verses 36 to 37, we see their responsibility. And under the custody and charge of the sons of Merari shall be the boards of the tabernacle and the bars thereof and the pillars thereof and the sockets thereof and all the vessels thereof and all that serveth thereto and the pillars of the court round about and their sockets and their pins and their cords. So what were they in charge of? The bars, the pillars, the sockets, the boards, the vessels, the pins, what, what is the cords? What does this mean? They were in charge of the frame and structure. So you have the Gershonites in charge of the tents, the draperies, the curtains, the Kohathites in charge of the furniture inside, and then the, the family of Merari, they were in charge of the actual structure. Because remember, this was like, if you think about going camping, you know, you set up a tent, you got a structure, then you got the actual covering. They were in charge of the structure, the frame and the structure. The boards, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, the vessels. You know, and look, sometimes people read the Bible and they're just kind of reading the Bible. And it's like, ah, I don't know what's going on here. But if you actually look at the words, you realize like, hey, these people are doing different things. Amen. You know, some of them are taking care of the tents. Some are taking care of the furniture. Some are taking care of the, the structure, the frame. They're taking down the poles. They're taking, And then their job was when they got back to wherever they were going, they had to set that frame back up. They had to set the structure back up. They had to put the frame up before the other family could put the tent on and put the draperies on and put the curtains on. And they had to put the tent on and the curtains on before the other family could bring the furniture in and set it all up. So notice these people have jobs that they are doing. And then, because we only have three families on three sides, right? The west, the north, the south. In, verses 30, in verse 38, we find out about Moses and Aaron and his sons. Because remember, Moses and Aaron and their sons, the sons of Aaron are the priests. In verse 38, we're told their location. But those that encamp before the tabernacle toward the east. Because remember, the east is the front of the tabernacle. Before the tabernacle toward the east, even before the tabernacle of the congregation eastward, shall be Moses and Aaron and his sons. So Moses and Aaron and his sons, they pitch their tent right at the entrance of the tabernacle, between the entrance of the tabernacle and the camp of Judah. So they're right at the front of the tabernacle, obviously a location of prominence because it's Moses, because it's Aaron because it's the priest, the sons of Aaron, keeping the charge of the sanctuary for the charge of the children of Israel and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Now notice verse 39. All that were numbered of the Levites, which Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandments of the Lord throughout their families, all the males from a month old and upward shall be 20 and 2,000. Now we're going to get into that number of 20 and 2,000 uh, here in one minute, but let me just give you real quickly a spiritual application and, and go to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, if you would. 1 Corinthians. If you kept your place in Acts, right after Acts, you have Romans in the, the book of 1 Corinthians. What's an application that we could learn from this organization that God gives? Because you have the tribe of Levi, and the tribe of Levi is divided into three families, but really there's four families. 
There's Aaron and his sons who are the priests. They're the only ones that perform sacrifices and that enter the tabernacle and do those things. Then you have the tribe of Gershon. The other three families were given to Aaron to help with the service of the tabernacle. Then you have the tribe of Gershon. What was their job? To take down the tents, the curtains, the, da- the, the, the uh, 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 draperies, the, uh, the coverings. That was their job. You had the Kohathites. Their job was to remove the furniture. What was, then you have the, the, the Mirrorites. Their job was the frame and the structure. What can we learn from this? There's also a New Testament application to this or a New Testament picture of this. And the application is this, that in the work of God, there's room for everyone. There's something for everyone to do. You say, I might not be a a priest. Yeah, but you know, you might be able to take the tent down. Or you might be able to take the frame down. Or you might be able to carry the furniture out. In the work of God, there's different things that need to be done. And there's a place for everyone to participate in the work of God. And this is, there's, the, there's an equivalence to this in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, are you there? Look at verse 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the apostle Paul is talking about the local church. Notice what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. You understand that a church is not one pa- just a pastor and his wife. That's a church. No, that's just one member. That's just two members in the congregation. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were uh, hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set these, uh, the, the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members... Yet but one body. Do you see how that's similar to what we see with the Levites? Because if, if, if the Gershonites said, well, we take down, you know, everyone wants to take down the, the tents, wants to take down the curtains, wants to take down the draperies. Well, then who's going to take the furniture down? And who's going to take the structure down? And if everybody wants to take the structure down, who's going to take the furniture down and, and, and the coverings? And if everybody wants to take the furniture down, I want to help take care of the ark out. Well, then who's going to take down the, the structure? There's something for everyone to do. And the house of God is the same way. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Look, you and I have different roles. And my role might be different than your role. And your role might be different than my role. But we should not sit here and judge and say, well, when do I get to preach? Probably never. (laughs) I mean, there's going to be, honestly, only a few people that I trust to preach. Behind the po- and I don't mean probably now. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll try to help guys uh, get opportunities to preach. But what I'm saying is this. You can do something in the house of God. There's something for everyone to do. Amen. And with the Levites, everyone had a job. Everyone had a task. Everyone had something they were responsible for. And they were all working together like a body. Like a team. So there's an application there about teamwork. Now go back to Numbers chapter... 3, and look at verse 39 again. 
Now, the next section we're going to look at, and we'll finish up with this section, is the last section, verses 40 through 51, which is the firstborn. We saw verses 1 through 4, the priests, the sons of Aaron. Remember, we learned about Nadab and Abihu. We saw verses 5 through 39, the Levites, the tribe of Aaron. We saw the distinction of the Levites, the division of the Levites, the duty of the Levites. Then in this last section, verses 40 through 51, we see the firstborn or the price of Aaron. But before we get into this last section, I want you to look at verse 39 again, Numbers chapter 3, verse 39. These were the numbered, excuse me, all that were numbered of the Levites, which Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord, throughout their families, all the males from a month old and upward were 20 and 2,000. Now there's a problem in this verse. And the problem with this verse is that the numbers do not add up. Because if you look at the numbers that were given of the family of the Gershonites, we were told there was 7,500. Of the family of Kohath, we were told there was 8,600. Of the family of Merari, we were told there were 6,200. If you do the math, you realize that the number is actually 22,300. So when you take the numbers that we've been given and add them up, some of you are taking your, your phone out right now. Yeah. Plus, plus. <laughs> you can do it. Check it. 22,300 is the number. But the Bible, the Word of God, a verse in the Word of God says 20 and 2,000. Now, I didn't spend a lot of time looking into uh, different explanations for this because honestly I saw the discrepancy and I asked God to just, just kind of help me to understand it and just in my own study of the chapter I feel like I was able to figure out why that was so I, I really I don't know what all the different if there are different or what the different things that people say out there I, I quickly just just looked at one commentary because I, I just looked up numbers 339 and looked at one real quick just to see what they said and here's here's what they said they said that this was a scribal error. So they just said, well, the, problem, the reason that it says 20 and 2,000 is because the scribe messed up. He should have said, he should have said 20 and 2,000 and 300, but you know, he just got sloppy and didn't add the 300, and, and that's the, the, the problem. So you know, I, just, I just looked at one commentary, and it said scribal error, but honestly... Probably all the commentaries say scribal error. Because whenever somebody, people come up with an issue like this, that's what they always say. Oh, the scribe messed up. Now, I have a problem with that. I have two problems with that. My first problem is that I'm an independent federal Baptist, and I'm King James only, and I believe the Word of God is inspired and preserved and has no error. It's inerrant. There's no problems in our King James Bible. So I'm not the person who's just going to say, oh, okay, scribal error. No, I've, I've got a problem with that philosophy that says when you don't understand something in the Bible, just blame it on a scribe. Because the Bible is inerrant. It's the word of God. But let me say this. If the Numbers chapter 3 and verse, the, the chapter of Numbers 3, if it ended at verse 39, if it was just like verse 39 was the last verse in the, in the chapter, period, and then we are, we're off to chapter 4. Then I could kind of see where they're coming from. 
You understand what I'm saying? If it was just the last verse in the chapter, then I might kind of think like, okay, yeah, I don't believe that, but I see what you're saying. Maybe they just forgot to add N300. I could, I could see that if it was the last verse in the chapter. The problem is it's not the last verse in the chapter. And there's actually, you know, 11 other verses or 12 other verses in this chapter. And when you read the rest of this chapter, you realize there's no way this was a scribal error. There's no way that it could have been, and I'll, 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 you'll just see it. Look at verse 40. And the Lord said unto Moses, because remember, we just got done reading that they numbered all the men that were the males that were one month old and upward of the tribe of Levi. And then in verse 40, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Number all the firstborn of the males of the children of Israel. So now God wants them to number all the firstborn. What does that mean? The firstborn child of the entire nation of Israel. From a month old and upward. Because remember, they were numbering 20 years old and upward for the census, the military census. But now he's saying, I want you to number all the males that are, that are the firstborn. And they don't have to be 20 years old. They can be one month old and upward. Look at verse 40. And take the number of their names. And thou shalt take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstlings among the cattle of the children of Israel. Now, what's going on here? Remember, there was a couple of verses we skipped earlier. Look at them real quickly. Uh, Numbers chapter uh, 3 and look at uh, verses 12 and 13. And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel. Notice this word, instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. The reason that the Levites were not counted as one of the 12 tribes is because God took the Levites as his own. Why did he take them instead of the firstborn? Why? Verse 13. Because all the firstborn are mine, for on the day that I smote, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hollowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast, mine shall it be, I am the Lord. If you remember in this context for the children of Israel, a year ago, not that long ago, a year and a month ago, God delivered them out of Egypt through what we now refer to as the Passover, where he told them they had to sacrifice a lamb and put blood on the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord would come through Egypt, and he would kill the firstborn son of every house. But if he saw the blood, he would pass over the house. And as a result of that event, God said, from now on going forward, the firstborn son and the firstborn, the firstling, even the firstborn of cattle, even the first 10% of the harvest were to be given unto the Lord. But because God does not want human sacrifice, he said, I'm not going to take the first son of every family in the nation of Israel. He said, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take the entire tribe of Levi and they're going to be mine. 
Do you understand? That's what's going on here. Now, here's why this can't be a scribal error. Because the Bible says in verse 32, and Moses numbered of the Lord, as the Lord commanded him, all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and all the firstborn males by the number of names from a month old and upward of those that were numbered of them. This is the number, not of the Levites, but the number of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So I want you to understand this. We're going to look at two numbers. One is the number of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, males. The other is the number of all the males, not just the firstborn, all the males in the one tribe of Levi. Because God is saying, I'm going to take this tribe instead of all these firstborn. Are you tracking with me? Just look like you're interested, okay? We're almost done. Verse 43. And all the firstborn males, by the number of names, from a month old and upward, of those that were numbered of them, were 20 and 2,200, threescore and 13. What is that? 22,273. Okay, so we numbered the Levites. There was 2,300 of them. But for some reason, God chose to write down, don't write 2,300, scribe. It wasn't an error. God, the Holy Spirit of God, told the scribe, write 22,000 even. Not 22,300. Then they count, because they're counting how many Levites are they going to receive instead of the firstborn children of Israel. Then they count the firstborn children of Israel, and it's 22,273. Now, doesn't 22,273 and 22,300 sound like they're pretty close? But there's a difference. But remember, they, they, they only counted 22,000. They didn't count the 300. That's our scribal error supposedly. So what happens next? Look at verse 44. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. And the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle, and the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. Do you see what's going on here? He says, Number the Levites. They numbered them. It should have been 22,300, but they said 22,000 even. He said, Number the firstborns. They numbered them. It was 22,273. And then God says in verse 45, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel. And the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. And the Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. Now in verses 46 through 51, we see why this could not have been a, a scribal error. Verse 46. And for those that are to be redeemed... Of the 203 score and 13 of the firstborn. Say, what's going on here? Because remember, the scribal error supposedly gave us a number of 22,000. When they counted the firstborn, it was 22,276. We know that the actual number was 22,300. But the number we're going with, the one that God told him to go off of, was 22,000 even. There's a difference between these two numbers, the supposed wrong number, 22,000 even, and the 22,273. Now, we know the real number is 22,300, but we're not going with that number. God chose to reject that number, said just count 22,000. 
There's a difference of 273. Do you understand that? What do they do? Verse 46. And for those that are to be redeemed of the 203 score and 13 of the firstborn. Because there's not enough to do a one-for-one swap. There's only 22,000 on this side. So there's 273 extra. The Bible says of the children of Israel, which are more than the Levites. You see the last part of verse 46? Which are more than the Levites. Thou shalt even take five shekels apiece by the pole after the shekel of the sanctuary. Shalt thou take them. The shekel is 20 giras. And thou shalt give the money wherewith the odd number of them is to be redeemed unto Aaron and to his sons. And Moses took the redemption money of them that were over and above them that were redeemed of the Levites and of the firstborn of the children of Israel took he the money, a thousand three hundred and three score and five shekels. So here's what happens. God is going to take the tribe of Levi instead of the firstborn. He counts the firstborn, 22,276. He counts the Levites, it's actually 22,300, which is more, but he decides to only take 22,000 of them, which gives you a difference of 276. There's a a one-for-one swap, means that you've got 276 extra that need to be redeemed. So again, because God does not desire to take a firstborn child out of his home, away from his mother, he says, for everything that was above and be uh, over and above, verse 49, you can just give an offering of five shekels for each one of those. That's what we see in verse 50. Of the firstborn of the children of Israel took he the money, a thousand, three hundred and three score and five shekels. So you have 273 extra persons at five shekels a person comes out to 1,365 shekels. So the nation of Israel not only had to give the tribe of Levi to God, but because there was 276 more in Israel than there were in the 22,000, they also had to give 1,365 shekels, five shekels for each one of the 273 persons. Now here's why I say this cannot be a scribal error. Because this scribal error cost them 1,300 shekels. You mean to tell me that no, you know, you mean to tell me that a bunch of Jews paid a bunch of money they didn't have to pay? Because somebody, you know, and I know they weren't called Jews back then. That's, that's later on in the timeline. They're Hebrews. But you understand what I'm saying? They had to pay 1,365 shekels. You don't think any of the thousands of people there, nobody said, uh, um, uh, wait a minute, I think you missed something here. It wasn't a scribal error. These people knew what they were doing. They're not stupid. You say, well, then why, when there was 22,300 and there was 22,276, why did, instead of taking the 22,300, God actually only took 22,000 even and made them pay the difference of 276? Why? Why did that happen? What was the purpose of that? It's not a scribal error. This is what God did on purpose because here's what I want you to understand. If God would have taken the 22,300, which was the actual number of the Levites, as a payment for the firstborns, God would have taken an extra 27 persons. You understand what I'm saying? Because there was 22,276, but there was 22,300. If he would have taken... 22,300, God would have taken an extra 27 
persons, meaning that God would have then owed them money. But because God is never going to be in a position where he owes you money or me money, he says, instead of taking the 22300 which would cause me to owe you 27 souls, instead I'll take 22000 even, and you just pay the difference of the 276 This was not something that was done by mistake. It was done on purpose. And the fact that the people paid 1,365 shekels shows you that it was done on purpose. You say, well, I don't understand. Here's what you need to understand. God will never be in your debt. God is never going to issue you an IOU. And look, there's a spiritual application. And the spiritual application is this, that God will never put himself in a position where he owes you anything. God, look, God is not going to put himself in, he will be fair, he will be just, he will do right by us, he will never put himself in a position where he owes us anything, and if anything, we owe him. So this so-called scribal discrepancy is not a scribal discrepancy. There's no way it could be. This is why I say, if verse 39 was the last verse in the chapter, then I could understand that it was a mistake. But it can't be a mistake because then the whole rest of the chapter makes the children of Israel pay God based on that number. And you can't tell me that nobody thought to maybe, let's double check the number here because I think the guy's off a little bit. We don't have to pay 276, five shekels for 276 people. There's 300, they knew that. They wouldn't have paid all that money. They chose to only, God chose to only take 22,000 of the Levites. And then he said, since there's 276 more than 22,000, you pay me the difference. But I'm never going to owe you anything. You say, what's the spiritual application? Here's the spiritual application for you. I don't care how much you show up to church. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the crowd, to the choir, right? You're here on a Sunday night. God bless you. I'm, I'm glad you're here. But let me explain something to you. You show up to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you tithe, you serve, you do all these things. I'm happy with you. Praise God for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm talking about as a pastor, I'm thankful for you. I appreciate you. But God doesn't owe you anything. Amen. You have done your duty. Don't ever walk away thinking, oh, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty hot stuff. God must owe me. God doesn't owe you anything. You, do, you and I deserve to die and go to hell. That's what we deserve. And the reason for these numbers is to paint a picture. God's not going to take 22,300 when he only needed 22,276. God's never going to take more from us than he should take, and he's never going to owe us anything. So he says, just take 22,000 even, because I'm not going to take more from them. And they can just pay me the difference for the 276. It's not a scribal error. If it's a scribal error, then that means that everyone in the nation of Israel, nobody could do math. Because the next 11 verses is all about this financial transaction based off that number that is supposedly a scribal error. It's not a scribal error. It was done on purpose to make the point that God doesn't owe me anything. But I owe him everything. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these 
chapters in the Word of God, I realize that Numbers chapter 3 is not the most exciting chapter in the Bible. But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. We can learn from it. We can understand things from it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to continue to learn and grow and apply these things. Help us to be mindful to not offer strange fire, to not offer to God what he has not provided, and to not do for God what he has not commanded. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to realize that in the work of God, there's a place for everyone. There's something for everyone to do. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize that you are good to us. You are just to us. And you do not owe us anything, but we owe you everything. Lord, I pray you'd help these truths to resonate in our minds and our hearts and to worship you as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you.